Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. A long time ago in Japan, a blind man was visiting a friend one night. And as he started to leave, the friend offered him a paper and bamboo lantern to carry home with him. And this blind man said, I don't need a lantern. Darkness or light, <clears throat> it's all the same to me. And this friend said, well, I know you don't need a lantern. You don't need a lantern to find your way, you know. But you must take it, because if you don't have it, someone could run into you. So the blind man started off with a lantern. Before he'd gone too terribly far, somebody ran squarely right into him. And he railed at them and saying, you know, look out where you're going. You know, can't you see this lantern? And this stranger said, your candle has burned out, brother. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to try to make a point this morning. I don't know whether I'm going to succeed or not. Am I doing something? Yeah, okay. In Christianity, <clears throat> we have a point of view. That for several days, God creates... <laughs> you know, and he looks around and he sees that it was good, he says. And so then he proceeds to make man in his image and likeness, and he places him in the garden of paradise. Yeah. This is the creation myth. Huh? Now comes the world. In the garden... There is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve were admonished not to eat the fruit thereof, or else they would surely die. And they ate that fruit. And immediately they knew duality. It was a tree, after all, of good and evil. So they knew duality. They knew subject, object. I'm here, tree is there. Subject, object, huh? That's object. I know myself as object. You know yourself as object. But with what do you know yourself as object? Yeah. So they knew good and evil, subject, object, high and low and near and far, you know, all the so-called dual throng. Hmm? They knew the way of this world by comparison through opposites. 
I made of the fruit. And somebody said it's still sitting in his throat. <laughs> yeah? And upon his eating the fruit, you know, God said, Behold, you know, the man has become like one of us, you know, to know good and evil. And lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden. So there is in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Now we all know the tree of good and evil. Huh? What about this tree of life that stands in the garden? And it says in our Bible, in the Christian Bible, that to reach this one must pass through the flaming sword which turns every which way. Hmm? Now Adam and Eve, <clears throat> eating the fruit, had their eyes opened. They knew their nakedness and they were ashamed. They, uh, we would say, they were ignorant. Hmm? They had no schooling, no anything. Here they stand there, ashamed and ignorant. This is what we do with this term. Hmm? Anyone who is not educated and learned in the ways of the world, we call ignorant. Now, in the Orient, there is another point of view. That this world, as we know it, is brought about by ignorance. Ignorance is seen as the beginning of knowing. Knowing, now, not knowledge, but that's there too. Let's see if I can read this. The view of the world that we ordinarily have is attained by piling knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge. Hmm? This is what we have done. Yeah. But the truth of this world, the very truth of it, is not so attained. You can't pile knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge and have the truth because you're still in a state of duality. This is knowledge. Now, in these Oriental religions, <laughs> we find Zen. And Zen is described sometimes as a, a doctrine of negation. It's a, a not this, and a not this, and a not this, and a not this. You know, it, it comes out of India, and India has. It's neti neti, not this. And some people think of this Zen doctrine as nihilistic, which it is not. It's not a correct viewpoint. 
What Zen aims at is to grasp the very central point, the central core, to grasp the main fact of life. And to reach this main fact of life, you know, uh, is a via negativa, the negative way. Christianity, you're getting rid of things. Hmm? You negate them. This is not the truth, and this is not the truth, and this is not the truth. So what is the truth? Yeah. Christianity is seen as a positive way. We are seeking, and we are asking, and we are knocking, and we are acquiring. Hmm? That's positive. Yeah. So why negate? You know, for what purpose? Why negate? There's a story of a woman, and her name is Antoinette Borignan. And she discovered that her, the obstacle, her spiritual obstacle, was the possession of a penny. So she threw it away. And when she did, she began her true spiritual journey, free from care, because she had thrown away the obstacle, this penny. And now penny, in this story, uh, is a symbol, and it symbolizes the ego. She threw away the penny, the ego, huh? And it is, after all, if we stop and look at it, it is this ego that ties us up so it, it, it binds us to this dual world, this duality. So how to cut this thread? to arrive at what is left after we have negated that this is not the truth and this is not the truth. What then is left? You get rid of your beliefs and your prejudices, you know, if you throw them away, then what is? We are very accustomed to this acquiring. We want to know something, we look it up in a book, and now we have acquired this information. We acquire. So when we come out here and begin to sit for meditation, it may be quite a while that we're sitting, and we're still sitting there trying to get. We're going to get something. You're going to get some kind of an experience. You know, if I don't, why, people will say I'm ignorant. Hmm? And then one comes to confrontation, to the interview, and because one has not had an experience, maybe, and so one thinks out, one has a thought-out concept, and is told, no, not so, not so. Hmm? 
Never mind the thought-out answer. Why not start with ignorance? Hmm? Why not go back to the state of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Paradise before they ate the apple? Hmm? Well, it might be that this is a stubborn, egotistical, let us call it a brash student that is there for interview and insists on his own point of view. This is not a concept, you know, not realizing uh, the mental, huh? And in his insisting on his point of view and the teacher listens and listens and listens and listens knowing that the student is going nowhere except around and around and around in his head. You know, that there really isn't any truth in the thing. Uh, so. Till finally, he either gets hit with a stick or he gets slapped in the face. <clears throat> now, Obaku, who was Rinzai's teacher, was one day and they had the little shrines around, you know, and he was one day paying reverence to the Buddha in the shrine, in this little sanctuary. And a pupil of his approached him. He saw what he was doing and says, but Zen says not to seek through the Buddha, nor through the Dharma, nor through the Sangha, See, why do you bow to the Buddha, he asked this teacher, as if you're wishing to get something by this pious act. And Obaku looked at him and he says, I don't seek it through the Buddha, through the Dharma, and through the Sangha. I just do an act of piety. He's not expecting something in return. He just, out of the reverence in his own heart, there's something comes about that you, you, you do. Hmm? And this disciple, you know, he grunted back at him. Well, what's the use of looking so sanctimonious? And the teacher slapped him in the face. Hmm? And this little student said to him, how rude you are. You know? And to which this teacher simply said, I have not got the time to consider for your sake what rudeness or politeness means. And he gave him another slap. Hmm? Strange procedure. But to see what Obako is trying to communicate, you know, what he's trying to tell this little disciple who does not have much understanding. If you think that the slap is just exasperation on the part of the teacher, you know, either to shut up the student or to get himself out of the situation because he hasn't got an answer or to prove his own way of thinking, <clears throat> that's an incorrect point of view. What is a slap in the face? 
comes a slap in the face and also comes a question immediately with it. What is this? What is this? Now, if one has an experience, has had an experience of seeing directly into one's own nature, if one has had a direct glimpse of reality, then you can readily see what a slap is. It is not an act of negation. It is not rude. It is not an act of affirmation. Politeness? No way. It's just Zen. What it is, it's just a plain fact of life. Hmm? It is a direct experience. It is an experience fact, not a mental fact. It is an experience fact. That's Zen. In that instant, in that shock, in that instant, one can see directly because the shock stops everything so that you can see. And so there is this old saying in Zen, you know, it, Zen must be seized with bare hands, with no gloves on. Hmm? You understand that, huh? Well, usually, now, we think of this word ignorance as um, stupid. In the Sanskrit, the word is avidya. And avidya is a basic, fundamental state. It's not stupidity. Nature in her process is ignorant, but not stupid, highly intelligent. Hmm? After all, there you sit. You didn't create yourself. You're part of nature. <clears throat> huh? Sometimes ignorance, this avidya, is represented, they portray it as a blind woman, it's the mother, the blind woman, feeling her way with a stick. Hmm? On account of this blindness, we human beings, we blunder our way through life. We grope our way through life, huh? don't we? Yeah? And we build these illusory pictures about ourselves, about the world, and we direct our will to these pictures that we have, that we have created. And it is now, because of the direction of the will, and because of our desires, and because of our imagination, we create a character. Buddhism, 
we find what is called, oh, he has, you know, we have the, the fourfold truths, the eightfold path, and the twelvefold chain of dependent origin, origination, huh? And it begins with avidya. The whole chain begins with ignorance, this blind woman. Avidya. Hmm? Then out of this, in the next link in the chain, is the potter, which we call samskara. And then comes a monkey, vinyana. And then there's the two men in the boat, which is nama rupa, name and form. This is my form and this is my name. Name and form, two men in a boat. And then we have a house with six windows. You know what that is? Sure. And then we have a pair of lovers. Yeah. And we have an arrow piercing the eye of a man, which is vidana, which is feeling. You're coming up here in the world. Then we have a drinker. Yeah, that's thirst, our cravings for things. And then there is this man gathering fruit, which is a clinging. Then there is sexual intercourse, which is becoming. And then there is a woman giving birth. And then there is a man carrying a corpse on his back, which is death. So we have come now from avidya through all the links in the chain of vidya, of knowledge. Hmm? Yeah. It rep vidya, the term vidya represents knowledge. <clears throat> Not wisdom, but knowledge. Wisdom is something else again. In order to find the wisdom, I mean, knowledge we have through this chain. But in order to find wisdom, we have got to go back to this blind woman. Ignorance. So, and this then, of course, is the negation. In order to find the wisdom, you set aside for the time being, however long that may be, five minutes or two minutes or half an hour, you set aside this vidya to find avidya, uh, meaning a negation. Now, Hakuin, who was the founder of modern Japanese Zen, <clears throat> There's a story told about him. Uh, when he was a young monk yet, he was very eager and very enthusiastic. And one day he had an interview with his teacher, Shoju. And uh, Hakuin hadn't been in Zen too terribly long. And in his eagerness, you know, why he tried to swallow everything he could, and so he thought he fully comprehended Zen. And he was very proud of his attainment. And so this interview now that he had with Shoju was by him, Hakuin, intended to be a demonstration of his very high understanding.
So Shoju asked him how much he knew of Zen. And uh, <clears throat> Ha Queen answered, oh, just very disgustingly, if there is anything I can lay my hand on, I will get it all out of me. And when he says this, he acts as if he's going to vomit. You see, he's gotten rid of everything. He's gotten rid of everything. And upon this, why, Shoju took a hold of his nose, you know, and he says, what is this? You know? Have I, after all, not touched it? No. Touched what? Touched what? Something very realistic is demonstrated here by this shoju. <clears throat> and we, we talk about negation. And we, you know, we point to it all the time. But this particular way of seeking, which was also Socrates' way, hmm? does not leave the mind blank. No. It doesn't just leave the mind as a pure nothing. You know, if it did that, we would all be committing intellectual suicide. And this certainly doesn't turn out to be the case. Everything has its appropriate place, as it were. Zen, when it is known for what it is, is a living, a living fact, a livingness. It's not empty space. This empty space, huh, is a concept. In your vidya. It's a concept of knowledge of this everyday world. But do you know what this empty space really is? To come into contact with living facts, living facts huh, of every phase of life, the livingness of life, that's the aim of the discipline. You're in contact with yourself, not your thoughts, with yourself. You know, in the, in the great Isha Upanishad, which I happen to, I love dearly, you know, we find into a blind darkness they enter, who follow after the ignorance. They, as if into a greater darkness, who devote themselves to the knowledge alone. Other, verily it is said, is that which comes by the knowledge, other that which comes by the ignorance. And this is the lore that we have received from the wise who revealed that to our understanding. He who knows that as both in one the knowledge and the ignorance, by the ignorance, crosses beyond death, and by the knowledge, 
enjoys immortality. Hmm? And that beautiful thing starts out with, you know, the marvelous sentence, all this is for the habitation by the Lord. Knowledge has one result, ignorance has another result. Know them both. Hmm? Now, scholars, scholars, everywhere are engrossed in studies of their religions. We find it so in Buddhism. We find it so in Christianity, uh, Mohammedism, Jainism. Hmm? There are scholars and they study. But one can take sentences out of the Bible and one can take phrases within Buddhism and sit with them rather than being intellectual about them. In Buddhism we find the phrase, I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the Sangha. Hmm? In the Buddhism, the pivotal point, the main thing is that man, Buddha, his spiritual experience and our trying to have the same. Hmm? What was it, instead of reading and reading and reading, instead ask yourself, what was it? What could it have been that presented itself to this man's consciousness? Hmm? What was this experience he had that so freed him? Well, he wasn't reading any books for sure, you know. <clears throat> so it is evident that his intellectual activity was not the cause of his enlightenment. No, he'd been sitting for six years under a tree. That's not intellectual pursuit, no. Although he had a great intellect, after all, he had been tutored to be a king. Yeah. <clears throat> what happened to him? You know, uh, th th there is a phrase that we come across often not to be grasped by logic. Hmm. Intellectual solutions are fine. They have their place. They can be very satisfying. But they are not sufficiently fundamental to enter the depths of soul life, if I can put it that way. Hmm? Buddha's insight 
reached the very depth of his being, and he saw it, whatever, huh? He saw what was, what is. Hmm? It's like looking at your own hand with your own eyes. Yeah. There's, there was no reflection, there was no inference. See, like we can look at our hand and say, oh yeah, my finger's a little bit red, so I'm inferring the blood supply is going around pretty good today. Uh, that's an inference, huh? So, but no inference, no reflection, no judgment, no comparison, no moving backwards or forwards or up and down. The thing was seen. There was nothing more to talk about. There was nothing to argue and there was nothing to explain. It was just complete in itself. It didn't lead to anything inside or outside or within or beyond, you know. In this experience that he had, he knew that he had broken that 12-fold chain of causation and he was a liberated man. He knew it. It was complete. So what experience did he have? Better we wrestle around with that rather than what did he really mean by Sangha? You know, Sangha is after all the community of the brotherhood. It has several meanings. Now, and uh, we have words like wisdom, knowing, not the knowledge, but the knowing. What is it that knows knowledge? Yeah. And we have the prania, wisdom, the noesis. These are forces. The noesis, the wisdom, they grow in you and they grow out of this avidya, this ignorance. Huh? It's like a tree grows. There is sap rising from the roots. Hmm? Knowledge, of course, are, which is borrowed, you know, can rise to very great heights. And I say, fine, let it, use it. But don't forget, there is a tree here and the sap is running. Hmm? The energy is moving. And this grows of its own accord. And this is rooted in life. The, a living tree is rooted in life. It is a growing process. It is a living process. Roots are grounded. Hmm? What happens to all that accumulated knowledge? What happens to all the facts that you gather when you're not there to perpetuate it? Hmm? Where are its roots? 
If you want to find the tree of life, and I assume that you do, you must find your fundamental living roots. Hmm? Even though the roots are ignorant. Oh, and it's so difficult. I don't think I have the time for this. Hmm. No. I have to give up something for it. I have to give up my time. You know? Of course. Huh? There is a sacrifice. You're not wanting to give up the time. Is it covering fear, trepidation? I mean, you're going to move into an uncharted, unknown area of yourself? Hmm? You're going to move without a map? You're going to move without a guide? You're going to sit there and, oh man, anything can happen, huh? But move into an unknown, we do anyway, every day, every minute. Right now, your mind is moving into an unknown. Hmm? You know, insecurity is a good way to grow. But to set aside what I know, that's risky business, isn't it? Yeah. I think also we should remember that Zen does not say that the Bible is wrong, that the Vedas are wrong, that the Upanishads are wrong, that uh, the Quran is wrong. It simply points to a fact that knowing yourself to see yourself directly has nothing to do with right or wrong. Hmm? I must be good and therefore then I'll be able to do this thing. I must be worthy, then I can do this thing. I must be perfect, then I can do this thing. Mm -mm. It is seeing yourself with your own eyes that's what counts. Your experience of reality, that's important. So you push into yourself. After all, where else are you going to find yourself? And it is important that you find yourself. You know, T.S. Eliot, you know, he wrote so many things. But those, well, anyway, I'm going to read this little squip. And he says, we are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men, leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Alas, our dried voices, when we whisper together, 
are quiet and meaningless as wind in dry grass or rats feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. No, 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 no. Now, we, in our Western world, you know, this culture, we are taught that in order to know, that in order to be saved, as we call it, in order to know, to be freed, we must be rid of what? You were all good Christians once upon a time. What were you taught? You had to be rid of something. What do you have to be rid of? All that long ago? Come on, Donnie, you, you took a good Bible course in here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We have to be rid of sin. The original sin you've got to get rid of. Hmm? So now... I ask you, what was the original sin? That's right, eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the original sin. What then is virtue? Surrendering that sin. Hmm? Yeah. I would like to, but how? How to surrender this sin? This knowledge of good and evil isn't a sin at all, is it? No. Become he as a little child. Hmm. A child has not yet eaten the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. The child that is innocent on the day it arrived. This child is innocent today. Uh, however many years you've lived, the child in you is still innocent. See, that this innocence at the very root of your life It's not Christmas, but I'm going to tell you a Christmas story. Yeah, you know. It's the story of the three kings. Yeah, it's rather apt. Yeah. There were three wise men, and they were very old, old men, kings. And a star is guiding them. And they reach the stable or the cave, you know, the manger, and the star stops there. See? When you reach home, everything stops. Hmm. There's nowhere else to go, is there? You're home. The star stopped. Now, in these three kings, they find this baby, innocent babe, lying there in the manger. And these three kings had brought with them and they now offer these gifts to this innocence. Gold, 
incense and myrrh they give to this baby. They're symbolic gifts, huh? Gold, after all, is for kings. Incense is for priests. And myrrh is what they embalmed people with in Egypt while they waited for the resurrection. So these three things are symbolized here. The king, the priest, and the resurrection. Hmm? And then these three kings leave. They're never heard of again. Who are they? Who are they? They're still alive, I'll tell you that. Yeah? It's an, to me, it's such an interesting story. Yeah? You should plumb the depths of yourself, you know, of your own soul. So here's the medium. They're still around. Yeah. Anyway, a long time ago in Japan, you know, a blind man was visiting. We're back to this now. A blind man was visiting a friend one night, and he was offered this paper and bamboo lantern to carry home with him. Oh, I don't need a lantern. You know, darkness and light, it's all the same to me. Well, I know you don't need a lantern to find your way, the friend replies, but you must take it because if you don't, someone may run into you. Yeah. And the blind man started off with the lantern, and before he walked very far, someone had squarely run into him, and he says to him, look out where you're going. Can't you see the lantern? Your candle has burnt out replied the stranger. Well, having this candle in his hand, <coughs> this lantern, uh -huh, the blind man relied upon it. Hmm? He believed in the lantern. For years he'd been walking this road. No one had ever run into him before. Always he had been very cautious. He had moved cautiously. But now he's carrying something in his hand out here, you know, something that he had borrowed. And because of this lantern, he thought he could come to no harm. Huh? Yeah. If one does not have this knowledge, if one is ignorant, one moves cautiously. Hmm? One walks with alertness. Hmm? One walks with awareness. If you think you know something, there's no need to be cautious about anything. No, that has to do with it. There's no need to be alert. You know this room. What's the sense of being alert about this room? You come here frequently. You know it. You look at yourself in the mirror. There's no need to be alert about that, to be aware of what you're seeing in the mirror. You look a little bit now and then. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the eye's a little bloodshot, but other than that's all right. You know, are you alert with what's in the eyes? 
But you know your face. You see it every day. You don't need to be alert about it. It's the old familiar, you know? And so here's this blind man walking along and thinking other thoughts. He doesn't have to pay attention. You're right, huh? See? There's no need to think about the road. He's got a lantern. No need to think about other people. They can see the lantern. He believed in it. Yeah. The Buddha said, you know, be a light unto yourself. And Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify the Father. Be a light unto yourself. Not a mental light, you know, a real light. We have all come into this world with a light. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Hmm? Not only do you have this light, you don't have to get it, you already have it. But you have an eye with which to see this light. Hmm? It's not this physical eye, of course, but there is what is called an eye. Sometimes it's called a Buddha eye, sometimes it's called a single eye, but there is an eye with which you can perceive this light. And if thine eye be single, thine whole house, shall be filled with light. Hmm? And as Meister Eckhart put it so nicely, there is an eye with which you see God, and it is the same eye with which God sees you. Now what is that eye? Hmm? Well, if you think you've got another eye in there that looks like this eye, don't you wonder what that eye looks like? When you have an eye, you have it. You have this light, and you have this eye that can perceive this light so that your whole house is filled with it. Curious? Hmm? Hmm. You know, physical eyes, uh, we can transfer them, we can transplant them. Huh? You can leave your eyes to somebody and they will have the benefit of it. But not this inner eye, no. Experiences. 
to say, of the spirit, are not transferable, are not transplantable. You can't, upon my death, cut me open and take out and say, well, now this experience you can have, and this experience you can have, and, and uh, you know, give it all around. It's not going to be done. Experience for yourself is the only experience there is. It's got a real experience, huh? So there is this return to ignorance. You know, sometimes it's good for us to say, I don't know. Ignorance is supposed to be, I don't know, you know. It's good for us to say, I don't know. The ego clings, you know, to knowledge. Oh, look at what I know, look at what I know, look at what I know, huh? Knowledge is food for the ego. You know, we have mental food, we have emotional food. Hmm? We have food for the spirit. And there is food for the ego. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You ask me a question, and a lot of times that's the answer you're going to get. I don't know. There was one day an old priest was getting ready for his Sunday sermon, and it was very early in the morning. So he was sitting there making his notes. And a young priest came running in, and he said, look, my God, come here, come on, you know. Jesus has just come in, and he's worshiping at the altar, you know. And this old priest says, Jesus? You know, they talk about he's going to come again, but who's prepared for his coming again? He's in the church here? No. It's a shock. Why would Jesus come to his church? And he couldn't believe it. And, and you know, this fear and all this trepidation, and, is, you know, now he's, you know. So they both priests ran down the hallway and they opened the door a little bit and they peeped inside and yes, there was a figure at the altar. And he looked like Jesus. Of course, I could ask, you know, how, who knows what Jesus looked like? But anyway, they presumed it was Jesus. And this young priest then turned to this older priest and he says, well now, now what do we do? And the old priest said, do? Look busy! What else is there to do? <laughs> you know, it would have been really nice if he just said, I don't know. I don't know. Zen says, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Go beyond this name and form. Go beyond your identities. You know, society has given you certain identities. There are certain identities you have accepted from society and the others you don't like. See, you have acquired, you know. Now be your own light. Yeah. 
be your own light. There was once a fellow who was a crossing tender at, uh, you know how they used to get out there and wave the lantern? He was a flagman at a crossing tender. And one day there was an accident. The express train and an automobile collided. And they had a big to-do about it in this <coughs> trial. And naturally, he was, his flagman was the chief witness. And the entire case hinged on this energy. Had he really gotten out there with his warning signal? And so he went through a very grueling cross-examination, and it left him quite unshaken. The night was dark, and he had waved his lantern frantically. But the driver of the auto had paid no attention to it. No. And later on, the division superintendent called him in, and he complimented him on the steadfastness uh, with which he had stuck to his story and how he'd gotten through all this grueling cross-examination. And he said to him, you did wonderfully. I was afraid that you were going to waver in your testimony. And this crossing tender said, no, no, sir. But I was afraid every minute that the lawyer was going to ask me if the lantern was lit. <laughs> You see what we do? <clears throat> That's not a very nice story in one way. But we do follow other people's lanterns. And how do you know if they are even lit? Be a light unto yourself. Don't you think it's time? Be a light unto yourself. And now, may the peace and the power that passeth all understanding hold us and keep us in the love of the Christed consciousness while we are seemingly separate one from another. And I do thank you very much. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.